Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. Uh, You know, I thought I would uh, take today and do something a little bit different. I'm going to kind of diverge a little bit away from the Stone and Tile field, although this will apply to you guys out there that are in the Stone and Tile field and want to become an expert witness, or not even just an expert witness, but also a consultant. Uh, So regardless of what you do, whether you're in fabrication, restoration, uh, an installer, uh, sales, or any other occupation whatsoever, you could be a plumber or even a doctor, uh, what I'm going to talk about today in becoming an expert witness is going to be very informative as far as how to get started, what it takes to become uh, an expert witness, whether you should become an expert witness or not, what the courts look for, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But before I do, let me first tell you how I got started as an expert. Uh, Many years ago, I've been an expert witness now for, I think, probably in excess of 20 years. And uh, I was in the restoration business at the time, and I received a call uh, from an attorney that said that uh, we had a, a stone case. And without getting into details of what the stone case was about, and I said, we need an expert. And they told me, you know, what the issue was. And I said, well, yeah, I know a little bit about that. And I said, well, we would like you to come in and depose you. And I'm like, okay, what in the world does depose mean? And, you know, that's short, obviously, for deposition. And I'm going to talk about what that is. But I didn't know what a deposition was at the time. So, you know, we agreed on a price, which I set at a very, very low rate. And uh, I'll get into that as well, uh, what you should be charging for your for your expert services, especially when it comes to dealing with attorneys and courts and depositions. And I often tell my students in my class where I actually teach this as part of my uh, troubleshooting class um, is that if I would have known then during that first deposition that what I know today and you were to give me the option and you said, Fred, I tell you what, I'm going to let you go into this deposition with these three attorneys. There were three attorneys in there and they're going to ask you questions for about eight hours or I'm going to take two guys, and they're going to take you out back and beat the living crap out of you. I probably would have taken option number two because I felt just the same. I had no idea what a deposition was. I had no idea what kind of questions were being asked. Uh, Usually an attorney will prep you for a deposition. They didn't in this case, so it was a total surprise to me, and I felt exhausted. Today, I consider depositions fun because... One thing you have to remember, in regardless to what occupation you're in or what field you're in, you know more than the attorney does. The attorney knows the law. The judge knows the law. The juries only know a little bit about whatever their occupation is, but you're the expert. That's what an expert is. So that was my introduction into uh, becoming an expert. And as I went on and on and on, I noticed that uh, more and more people, were calling me, asking me to become an expert. 
Uh, we'll get into a little bit about marketing. If I don't have time to get into how I marketed my services, I will cover that in my upcoming uh, uh, seminar, which I'll, I'll discuss at the at the end of this show. So I've titled this particular uh, show, How to Turn Your Profession, Skill, or Trade into a Major Cash Machine by Becoming an Expert Witness. But before I get into that, let me give you an idea of the kind of money we're talking about today. Uh, I charge $250 an hour for a deposition, for trial, with a minimum of eight hours. Uh, I've made more than that. I've made upwards of $1,000 per hour. I mean, that's the type of money you're talking about. And you have to remember, to some of you, that may sound like a lot of money, but it's really not because in most of these cases, who's paying you is not the law firm, but the insurance company of the person that they're suing. Um, so it, it's, it, it can be quite lucrative. Now, it does take time to build a practice. It's taken me a long, long time. You don't work a 40-hour week, so if you want to take that $250 an hour, multiply that times 40 and say, hey, that's what Fred makes in a week, not, nope, not, not that at all. Uh, sometimes I work longer than that, and other times I'll, you have dry spells, and that's, that's part of consulting. That's part of being an expert, expert witness. So Let's get right into it. And in the meantime, uh, while I'm going through this, if you have any questions at all, uh, feel free to call in. Uh, the telephone number here is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, if you'd rather send me an email, it's fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. If you're on Facebook, uh, just go ahead and uh, look for Stone Forensics, and you can send me an instant message. I have my phone sitting right here so I can check my emails and uh, my messages and, and whatever, If you're, you're, or you can feel free to, to call in. All right, so let's first talk about what a consulting expert is versus a testifying expert. And it, it's rather simple. Uh, let's give you an example. Uh, let's say you have an attorney call you, and they want you to go out and look at a project. In our field, it would be you know, probably a stone failure of some type or a tile failure. And they want to know whether it's a failure or not. They want to know, in other words, what they're looking for, do we have a case? So you go out and you look at it. You charge them a fee, obviously. That is a consulting expert. And they haven't really hired you yet as an expert. They just want some information as to, you know, hey, you know, my client says this is a problem. He wants to sue the installer or you're working for an installer. An installer wants to sue the company that he's done the install for, whatever the case is. And uh, you're going out just to give them an opinion as to whether you think they have a case or not from a standpoint of a failure or, or something that was that was probably done wrong. That's what a consulting expert is. Now, Many times the case will end at that point. You know, I've had these many times where I'll go out and I'll look at a case and I'll say, well, you know, they did everything right. I don't see anything wrong. Well, they have no case. Uh, that's uh, that's rare, and I, the reason I say that's rare is because if there wasn't an issue, they probably wouldn't be calling you. But it, it does happen, and I have seen that happen. Um, a testifying expert, on the other hand, is where you're going to be called in to do a deposition, appear in trial. You may have to write what they call an interrogatory, and I'll get into what all those technical terms are here uh, in a minute. So there's a difference. There's a difference between a consulting expert and a testifying expert. So I guess, you know, what does it take? I mean, how how do you qualify to be an expert witness? And I get these questions all the time. And, you know, I've had guys in the industry come up to me and say, Fred, well, I don't have the experience you have. How can I be an expert? 
you don't need to have the the amount of uh, you know, uh, that I have on my resume. I mean, I've written hundreds of articles, uh, you know, over 36 books, et cetera. You don't need that. This is what the court looks at for qualifying an expert witness. I'm going to read it to you. It says, anyone who has special knowledge due to education, skill, or experience can qualify as an expert witness. Any judge can consider an expert, <clears throat> excuse me, based on your education, knowledge, special training, or experience in certain areas. And that means if you've been, let's say you've been an installer, and you've been an installer for 10 years, you can qualify as an expert. Same with a restoration guy, same with a fabrication guy, or any other occupation that you have, you know, X amount of years of, of experience. I have been in cases where uh, that's all the other expert has with some experience doing installations, with experience fabricating or whatever uh, their experience is, you can also qualify as an expert. So don't think uh, that when I say, oh, well, I need to have you know all these qualifications, I need to have this extravagant education, I need to be able to have written books, written articles. It helps, uh, obviously. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I just, oh, hello, 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 hello. Hello. Oh, there we go. Okay, I just lost everybody there for a minute. I don't know what the heck happened there, but uh, hopefully this is re this is recording. So uh, actually, I'm going to have somebody call in right now and just make sure that they are listening because if not, I'm going to have to uh, restart. Uh, the call-in number is – oh, you can't call in on that number. You're going to have to call in on a, on a cell phone number. Um, my phone just went haywire here. I'm rec actually recording this on, on my cell phone, but I'm going to get someone here to call in. Or if anybody out there is, uh, is listening, feel free to call in, and we can make sure that I am still, uh, still, still recording. Are you ready to call in? Okay. The number is three two three. Okay. She's having trouble with her phone here, folks. Just give me a second. Be patient. Two three eight seven zero three nine six eight, and you should be able to hear my voice on that there. So I'm just going to hold on, continuing to what I'm saying here until we know for sure that I am on the air. If I'm down the air, then I then I will continue. So be patient, folks. Okay, we got someone calling in. All right, she can hear me. All right. I'm sorry about that. So uh, my, my phone just went berserk. It made this really weird noise. So I thought maybe it, it cut me off, but it didn't, which is which is great. But anyway, what I was getting at is that, you know, you don't need uh, all those qualifications to be considered an expert. I w I've been in cases where, you know, I've been up against, say, another installer who only had five years' experience, but he had that special knowledge. But going back to what I said in the very beginning, remember, the attorney knows the law you know your field of expertise. So again, you could be a medical doctor, you could be an accountant, you could be, uh, you know, like like we are here, installers and fabricators and restoration guys. Uh, we know our field. We've been in our field for a while, so we so we know it. So that's that's how a, a judge or even a, an attorney will qualify you uh, as an expert. But that, that it takes a little bit more than that. Obviously, you have to know your field. Uh, you have to have knowledge. You know that goes without say. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to make sure you use the right terminology. And I'll, I'll give you some examples of how that that becomes a a, a problem uh, with certain experts that I've been up against. 
you have to have confidence. You must have confidence in what you're talking about. That goes for anything. And, um, you know, it goes in sales, guys. When you're out there selling your, your service, you know, you have to have that confidence. People can see through that if you don't have that confidence. Now, you're going to be asked to formulate an opinion based on your expertise, and you must be confident in maintaining that, that opinion. Um, do you have what it takes? Here's what you need. You need to have knowledge, as I already discussed. You need to have confidence. You also need to have the time. Uh, it can be very time-consuming in certain aspects to be a, be an expert simply because you're going to be doing a lot of research. Uh, when you go to write a report, and I'll get into this a little bit later here in the show, uh, that report needs to be, your opinion needs to be backed up by something. That could be the TCNA manual. It could be the uh, Natural Stone Institute's manual. It can be an ASTM standard. You have to back it up. And there's a way around that, which uh, we'll get into in a little bit here as well. You have to have patience. And what I mean by patience is that I've been retained on cases that, uh, um, you know, they give me my retainer. Uh, I give them an initial opinion. I may go out and do an inspection. And I don't hear from them for six months, two years. I've had them go as long as three or four years. And all of a sudden, they get a telephone call say, we're ready to depose you. And I'm like, uh, uh, who is this? <laughs> you know, and it was a case I did three or four years ago. So you need to make sure you keep accurate, accurate track of, of your records. You need to be able to speak. And when I mean by speaking, I don't mean in front of a crowd of people, which I know a lot of you are afraid to do, but you need to be able to speak clearly, need to be able to describe um, our particular, you know, your particular expertise in a plain and simple way. Because remember, an attorney, a judge, and even a jury doesn't know what you know, so you don't want to be throwing, you know, large terms out there that they might not know. Every term that you use uh, that we use in our industry or your industry, you need to be able to explain uh, and explain in a simple, simple way. And, and you need to remain calm. Calm is very important. A, a lot of, not a lot, but some attorneys will try to intimidate you. And remember, they're not going to attack you personally. Uh, they'll attack your opinion. Uh, they may attack your qualifications, but they're not going to attack you personally. And you need to be able to put that aside. Um, you know, a great example of that, I remember a deposition I had which lasted two days, which is kind of rare, but it was a two-day uh, deposition, and this attorney on the other side was, he was just, I came out of there feeling, God, this guy is just so mean. I mean, he tried every angle to attack me. Well, the case went on. I ended up settling out of court, which 90% of the time, that's what happens. And uh, I got a call from him six months later. The attorney that deposed me, the attorney that I thought was an a-hole, calls me and uh, says, hey, we want to hire you for another case we're doing. So apparently I did a good job. Uh, so you don't want to take that, 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 that personal at all. I've already talked about uh, a little bit in the very beginning here how much money you can make as an expert witness. And, you know, your fees, I, I learned this the hard way. In the very beginning when I started doing this, I had no idea what to charge. And as I went on and on and on and done more and more, you know, expert witness work, uh, I learned to charge appropriately. Right now, for most trade uh, trade um, expertise, and that is, you know, plumber, carpenter, electrician, uh, uh, engineer, uh, us guys in stone and tile industry, uh, I'm getting anywhere between 250 to $300 an hour with an eight-hour minimum. If you're a doctor, uh, there are some doctors getting you know upwards of thousands of dollars uh, per hour. So you need to just do a little bit of research on what other experts are getting in your particular field. I mean, I can tell you from my field, 
and the construction trades, but as far as the uh, other trades, if anybody out there is listening, uh, you need to do a little bit of research and find out what, what those um, what those fees are. And I'll, I'll give you this piece of advice. Do not sell yourself short. Uh, and there, there's some logic to that. And the logic is if you charge too little, you're going to be looked at as, that guy really isn't that good because he's not charging what everybody else is charging. So, you know, make sure you charge what everyone else is charging, and you might as well make the money. Now, there are types of expert witnesses, as there are types of attorneys, and I, I don't have time to get into it, but I'm going to list uh, five of them here and tell you where, where I fit in and where I think you should fit in, although everyone has their own style. There's number one is the scientist. Number two is the know-it-all. Number three is the teacher. Number four is the bragger. And number five is the talker. Um, I tend to fall in between the teacher and the scientist. And what I mean by that is you have to remember, as an expert, you are educating. You're educating the attorney. You're educating the judge if it goes that far. You're educating uh, the jury if it happens to be a jury trial. So you have to act like a teacher. You know, when you describe technical terms in our field, let's say, for example, efflorescence, we have to describe what that is because People outside of our field or outside of the construction field have no clue what the heck that, that is. Uh, when we talk about the polishing process, crystallization, or vitrification, you need to explain that. And you need to explain it in simple, everyday terms. What you want to try to avoid as far as being an, an expert is, and, and here, this, I'm jumping ahead and giving you rule number one when it comes to doing depositions, and that is don't offer any more information than what you're asked. That's the know-it-all. That's the bragger. That's if someone would ask you a question, you know, um, well, Mr. Uh, Houston, do you think uh, um, this installation failed? And I say yes, or I say no. Uh, and uh, I could also say, yeah, but, blah, 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 and I go on and on and on. You don't want to do that. That's not what the question was asked. The question needs to be answered as it was asked. Let me give you a funny example that happened to me many years ago and a question I've been waiting for all my life. I was in court and it was a slip fall case. Someone had slipped and fallen on a, on a marble floor and this was a full jury trial and this this young attorney gets up there and he's he's asking me all these questions and he throws a poster up on the on the easel there. And he says, well, Mr. Houston, he says, looking at that, that photograph there, do you recognize where that is? And, of course, I said, yes, I do. That was a such and such place, blah, blah, blah. And he said, now, looking at the photograph, can you tell me how old that marble is? And I paused for a minute, and I said, well, I can't give you an exact age, but I can give you an approximation. And he said, well, go ahead, give me, give me what, what is your approximation? And I said, well, that, that particular marble is probably anywhere between 20 and 30 million years old. Now, the judge about fell out of his chair laughing. <clears throat> the jury was laughing, and he was all frustrated. But remember what the question was. The question was, how old do I think that marble was? That's not what he meant, and I knew that. He meant how old the installation was, but he didn't ask that question. So it's very important to answer the question as it was asked, and then no further, no further commentary after that. Answer the question. Now, you know, you've all seen TV shows. You've all, you know, seen where the, you know, the, the lawyers have got the the, ex, the witness on the stand, and they're saying, I need a yes or no answer. I don't want an explanation. I want a yes or no answer. That doesn't apply to us as experts. Okay, if there's an answer you can't answer yes and you can't answer no to, you have every right to say, I can. This is what I would say. 
I can't answer that with a yes or no. Would you like me to explain? Now, anybody in the right mind is going to say, isn't going to say, no, I don't want you to explain. If there's a judge there, the judge is going to say, yeah, I want you to explain. Why can't this question be answered in a yes or no question? And then go ahead and you'll explain it. And then you've um, you've solved that, that, that problem. So don't be... You know, don't don't be trapped into into that. Uh, I need a yes or yes or no. Keep the keep keep your answers simple. Keep your answers specific to the question. And this can be somewhat of a uh, of a uh, a crutch, uh, not a crutch, but somewhat of a. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but I'll give you an example. I was in the line the other day at a movie, and there was this lady in front of me, and she turned around and she said, "Excuse me, sir, do you know what time it is?" And I looked at her and I said, "Yes, I do." And that's all I said. <laughs> Think about that. What did she ask? She asked, do I know what time it is? And the proper answer to that question is, yes, I do. What she should have said is, can you give me the time? So, I mean, that's an extreme example, but that's 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 what you start thinking about when you become an expert and you do a lot of deposition work and you do a lot of court work. Uh, you know, you, you, you tend to tune in uh, to those type, of, those type of questions, and you want to answer them the way they're asked. Um, one thing you want to try to avoid is what we call, or what I call, and I guess what some experts call in the industry, is known as the hired gun syndrome. Uh, this is where you're going to hire me, you're going to pay me, and I'm going to give you the answer that you want. And that's not how I work. If I get hired by an attorney, and first of all, attorney's not going to go out and just hire you without getting some kind of opinion. You know, they're going to call you and say, well, we got this situation, here's the story behind it, blah, 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 what do you think? And based on what you say, uh, you may say something like, well, I, I don't think you have a case there. I mean, it's, they're, they're purely within industry standards for whatever that is. Um, or if you say, well, no, that that's not following industry standards and, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I can help you out there. Then they're going to hire you. So you don't want to have them force you, which they won't. They can't do that legally, force you into an opinion. Your opinion is your opinion. It's your word. Uh, and that's why you're hired as an expert. So you don't want to fall into that, that what we call hired gun syndrome. So other than what I've talked about, or some of Uh, you're going to possibly do an inspection, depending on what the case is. You're going to formulate an opinion, which is very important to the case. You may do a deposition. You may go to trial. You may go to an arbitration. And you may have to write a report. Uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit if I have, have time. Um, how you prove you're an expert is you have to you know, give them what is known as a CV. A CV stands for Curriculum Vitae. It's a, it's a Latin word, which basically means your course of life. Um, it's basically your resume, guys. And, uh, you know, there are many sites out there. Just Google how to do a resume. And, um, you know, I can help you with it as well. If you attend my class, uh, I can help you as well with uh, how, how to prepare a, a CV. But anything that you've ever done. I mean, if you've written articles, if you've written books, if you've written a brochure, something is a brochure, your company brochure, include that. Um, you know, any seminars or presentations that you give, and, uh, any training, education that you have. Um, you know, if you're an installer and you're, you're 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 certified, make sure you put that down. Your experience is very important. You know, your knowledge, any trade associations you belong to. Uh, so you know, all that stuff is very important. Now, 
you do have certain guidelines that, that need to be followed depending on whether it's federal or depending with the state. And I work all over the country and sometimes all over the world, and it differs from state to state, different laws, uh, different. So I always have to rely on the attorney to tell me certain things. Uh, do you want a written report? In some, in some cases, they don't want a written report. They just want a verbal report. Later on, they may need a written report. So, you know, very, very, you need to be very careful uh, as to um, what you say and what you do, and that's where your attorney who hired you comes into play. Just ask them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask them. Remember, you don't know the law. Uh, they know the law. You know your field. You know your, your, ex, your expertise. So uh, that's just one thing to keep in mind. Uh, here's a rule I learned a long time ago from an attorney, and that is be careful what you record. Now, what I mean by that, I go, if I go on an inspection, I don't take a notepad with me. And most people cringe at that. And they go, how in the world do you remember you know, what you looked at or, or, or what you said or whatever? And my simple answer to that is, is my camera is my notes. And the reason for that is extremely important, especially if you're not the only one uh, on that inspection, uh, i.e., uh, the customer's there, the other side is there. I mean, anything you say is going to be used against you. Uh, so I keep quiet. I might ask questions where I get the answer, but I do not, whatever I do, will not give an opinion uh, during the inspection, uh, especially if it's a, it's, a, it's a legal case. If it's a consulting case, that's something else. But if it's, a, it's a, going to be a lawsuit, I will not give an opinion, even if they ask for an opinion. And I've had that happen uh, a lot, you know, more than half the time. So ask me, so what do you think? And my canned answer to that is, well, you know what? I have to go back. I have to look at the photographs. I have to do a little research. Uh, you know, if I took in a sample, I've got to analyze it. I've got to get with the lab. And uh, then I'll formulate an opinion, and it'll be in my report. Uh, so basically, uh, you know, do not give an opinion, um, um, uh, especially if you're doing the inspection, because it will come back to bite you if you say something uh, during the inspection and you say something different during a deposition or in court. Uh, a smart attorney is going to pick that up, and they're going to know what that is. So you will never see me even carry a pen into an inspection. My my phone, which is my camera, is the only thing I take, other than my if I have testing equipment, obviously. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take that in, so be careful, careful, careful there. Uh, when you're retained, uh, you're going to present what is known as an engagement letter, uh, and this engagement letter spells out your retainer fee, uh, what you charge for expenses, you know who pays for travel and accommodations, uh, and then you want to have the attorney sign off on that. I have examples of engagement letters. I give them out in my class. Uh, that I have coming up, which I'll describe here uh, at the end of the show here uh, when the next class is coming up. Uh, there are some examples of engagement letters there. Uh, your billing and collections, uh, you bill just like a, a lawyer. A lawyer calls you, spends 15 minutes on the phone with you, you're going to charge him a quarter of an hour. Um, copies that you make, you know, I, I learned that the hard way. You've got to charge like an attorney charges, which is great because now you get to earn what an attorney earns. Uh, in some cases on an hourly basis, and you don't need a law degree to do it. So uh, it, it's kind of great. It's a, it's a, it, And you learn after a while it actually becomes really rewarding and interesting work. Um, I already discussed this, but I'm going to mention it again, and that is, you know, are your conversations subject to disclosure? Uh, and, yes, anything you say, emails are considered. Uh, and in certain states, like here in Florida, when I do cases here in Florida, uh, when I write a report, I write it as a draft report. 
and a draft report is not discoverable. And what discovery means or disclosure means is that anything that you say, anything that you write, notes that you take, photographs can all be used in the in the case, which means both sides are um, they're, they need to have those, and they, you have to, by law, give them those any of those things, which is why I will not, again, um, <clears throat> write anything during, during an inspection. Uh, let me give the phone number out, stop here uh, for a quick minute before I go on, and the number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, if you have a, a specific uh, specific question, uh, also my email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. All right, report writing. I mean, I could spend a whole hour easily talking about report writing, but in general, let me give you some some tips here as far as report writing. I am not one that what I call writes a fluff report. I've seen reports that need to be two pages long and are 28 pages long because the person writing it is trying to impress you with all their technical knowledge. I'm a firm believer in keeping the reports simple. Uh, you know, state you know the facts, back those facts up uh, with. You know, with with an article, with uh, something you've seen on the web, uh, hopefully with a standard, hopefully uh, something from the Natural Stone Institute's manual or the uh, you know TCNA manuals. One of the, you know something you can back it up. If you can't, uh, for whatever reason, and it's your opinion, you can use this terminology. You can say based on my X amount of years' experience, or another great term you may want to write this down is common industry practice. So a great example of that in our field is that I had a case many years ago where the where the word mud was used. Now, everyone knows what mud is, okay? It's that mortar we use to install stone and tile with. Everyone knows what that term is, but you won't find it in the literature. You won't find the TCNA calling it mud. You won't find uh, the Natural Stone Institute calling it mud. So it becomes a really tricky term. And I, this actual case that I was involved with, the whole case was based on that term. And what it boiled down to is mud is a common industry term. Every installer out there knows what the word mud is, but it's not something you find in the, in the, in the literature. So that's an example of where you might use common industry, uh, common industry practice. And common industry practice can differ from region to region. Uh, and they might do something differently in, say, Phoenix, Arizona, than they do in Miami, Florida. Uh, and you know, that's common industry practice for that particular area. So you need to keep that in mind as well. And in our class, we go over, uh, you know, a little bit of those standards and, you know, building codes, et cetera, and other codes that may or may not apply to our particular field. But if you're in some other field and you're listening to this, you would want to go to uh, your code section as well. So what is a deposition? I mentioned it. Um, basically, it's the testimony uh, of you, the other witness, the expert witness, uh, to ask you oral questions. And what they're trying to do is they're searching. They, they, they want to know what your opinion is. So they're going to ask you some questions. And there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, uh, art, I guess you could call it, to giving a deposition because uh, an art as far as the attorney goes and asking the questions and an art as far as the expert goes and answering those questions. And it's something I've become very good at over the years. Uh, just through experience and, 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 and learning after doing deposition after deposition after deposition. But you want to keep it simple. As I, you know, as I said before, uh, answer the question as it was asked. Uh, if they don't ask you the question, don't bring it up. Okay? It's that the attorneys 
job to ask you the right questions. If they don't ask you that question, then don't bring it up. You can discuss it with you later with uh, with your attorney uh, that, hey, you know, how come they didn't ask about that code or whatever? And the attorney's going to make a note of that, and he'll not ask you that if it goes to trial. So um, generally what I found is that the attorney who hired you during a deposition asks very few questions. Uh, they will maybe clarify some questions. They may follow up with a question or two, uh, but the 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 attorney deposing you, which is the guy on the opposite side, is usually asking you uh, all the questions. And there, there are some there are some general rules there. They will go over some of the rules. You know, make sure you you know you don't nod your head yes or no. You say yes or no. You don't go uh huh or nah. Uh, you want to be very very clear because you're going to have a court reporter there, and those type of things are very difficult to to record. So. Uh, again, I, I could put you a whole through a whole practice deposition, but that's not the uh, purpose of this particular show today. It's just to give you an introduction into you know what an expert is. So um, we can go over a bunch of sample sample questions. Uh, I just had a deposition last week where it was about a three-hour deposition, and the attorney that was deposing me took an hour and a half going over my qualifications. Uh, some will do that. I've had them go over my qualifications for two minutes. And I've had them take, you know, hours to go over them. So, and they'll just ask you, you know, where, you know, what's, what's your name? What's your address? Where do you work? How long have you owned that company? Uh, how many installs have you done? If you're, if you're an installer, or, you know, if you're in some other field, how many times have you? Blah 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 blah. How long have you been an expert? Uh, do you, uh, are you an expert mainly for the prosecution or the, uh, uh, the other side? Uh, you know, just, just questions, questions like that. If you've written anything, they're going to ask you details for that. When you did the inspection. So it can go on and on and on and on. Um, the term interrogatories is written responses. A lot of times, uh, and your attorney will prepare prepare a list of questions, which basically um, are questions outlining what you prepare to testify to. You know, I, you know, Mr. Houston prepares to testify that you know this install was crappy. Obviously, we use more technical terms than that, uh, but those are usually general written questions which your which your attorney will help you draft and and, and help you. They will probably uh, some states have particular rules for drafting these, and you know a lot of times I'll just you know have attorney will call me, ask me the questions, I'll answer them to the best of my knowledge, and they'll put it into their own terminology, uh, and then they send that back to you for proofreading, and there's your interrogatories. Discovery. I, I already mentioned what that is. You know, basically they're they're finding out all the information they possibly possibly can uh, beforehand. Okay, so let's look at a few things. Let's say uh, an attorney calls you and wants to retain you. What kind of questions should you be asking the attorney? Should you, as the expert, you know, well, the first thing you want to do, and sometimes I forget to do this and I shoot myself every time, and that is ask how they got your name. Uh, how did they find out about you? Uh, who's your attorney representing, the plaintiff or the defense? What are the issues with the case? Ask for any paperwork. I mean, you want to read every, other people's depositions if they've been taken, other interrogatories, uh, the actual claim that was filed, uh, invoices, anything that's going to help you formulate your opinion. Uh, where they are in the discovery process, because you, you, I mean, a lot of times I've offered information to attorneys that they had never thought of. Oh, why do you need that? And, you know, for example, why do you need the invoice for the material that was purchased? Because I want to make sure that they got what they purchased. And you'd be surprised sometimes. I mean, I've had cases where someone has bought some granite, and it says granite 
on the invoice, but it's not granted. So you know, you, things of things of that nature, and you can apply that type of uh, scenario to to your field field of uh, your occupation as well. If you're not in my industry here, uh, what are the insurance carriers? Have you worked for those insurance carriers before? Who are the parties involved? You want to make sure there's no what we call conflict of interest. Uh, who is the opposing counsel? I mean, how how long is this going to take? Are the trial dates have been set? Um, will you need an engagement letter? And I would say yes, regardless. Uh, you will need to send them an engagement letter because that becomes a legal document as far as, you know, hiring you. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so you can get paid. I generally ask for, speaking of getting paid, I generally ask for a retainer up front. As I mentioned, my typical charge is 250 per hour. I require a 10-hour retainer, so I require a check of 25, a non-refundable check of $2,500 to get started on the case. And usually I require that before I even go out for an inspection, before I do anything uh, in the case. So uh, that's just what I do. Uh, most experts do. Some don't. So, you know. Um, you want to make sure you do your homework. You want to be be aware of uh, cheap advice. Um, you may have to sign an affidavit, uh, which is basically something that you say taken under oath. Uh, let's switch a little bit to uh, marketing your services. And again, I go over this in a little bit more detail, but there are sites out there where you can market your services, uh, expert witness uh, companies. Uh, there are some that will actually take care of all the paperwork for you. And what I mean by paperwork, the invoicing, not, not your report or anything like that. And uh, they, they charge a fee on top of your fee. So you don't pay anything up front. They just, let's say you charge 250 they might charge the attorney 350 And <clears throat> I have several agencies that have hired me, uh, hired me through that. Or you can just, you you know, go out on your on your own and do it. Um, your CV, uh, we talked about that. Uh, it's 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 kind of a difficult business, to be honest with you, uh, to market. And the reason it's difficult is because, especially in a field like ours, I mean, there's not a lot of guys out there that do this. I probably know, maybe maybe a half a dozen, to maybe a few more experts out there that do this on a regular basis. Uh, so we're far and few between. So it's an actually a, a good a good occupation to be in in the stone and tile field because there's a lot of lawsuits out there, and unfortunately, you guys out there ha have not been sued. But uh, you know, it's not a matter of uh, you know if you're going to get sued, it's a matter of when you're going to get sued because it happens to everybody at one point. If it hasn't, you're you're pretty you're pretty lucky. So those are the referral referral agencies, et cetera. So. That's my brief and uh, concise on, on how to turn your profession, skill, or trade into a major cash machine by come, becoming an expert. Now, you can apply some of what I talked about to being a consultant as well. Uh, consulting obviously can turn into an expert, but you know, you, if you're going to do that, you want to make sure you, <clears throat> you find out because how you approach the job is going to be entirely different. Uh, if it's going to be a lawsuit, you want to be careful what you say and some of the things that I've gone over where it's a consulting project, you might not be, might not have to be as careful as that. So if we have any last-minute questions before I wrap things up here and give you some information on the seminars, whatever, uh, we have time for a quick call. The number is 323-870-3968. 323-870-3968. Okay, folks, uh, if you're interested in my class coming up, I have one coming up in January in Las Vegas uh, of next year, 2020. It happens to be at the same time the Stone Show is out there, which I conveniently scheduled during that time. You will have time to go to the Stone Show. It's a stone and tile inspection and troubleshooting class. 
Uh, we do go over what I just went over here in this show, but obviously we go over everything stone and tile. The class size is very limited. I don't take any more than eight people max. Right now I'm half full. I have four signed up, so if you want to attend the show, uh, the, the seminar, I'm sorry, not the show, the, the seminar, uh, give me a call. Let's get you registered. I only need a small deposit to get you, get you registered. Uh, again, just uh, send me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. If you want to go to my website, stoneforensics.com, there's some uh, testimonials on there you can, you can check out uh, as well. Uh, I'm also in the hunt for sponsors for this show. I've uh, put some uh, word out there, so if anybody is interested in sponsoring the show, I'll be more than happy to send you a sponsorship package. We're, we're going on getting close to 60 shows so far, so a lot of good information out there, and all, all these shows are archived, so you can go back and listen to them again and again and again. Um, and in the meantime, if you know someone that wants to be interviewed, they have something good to share uh, in the stone and tile industry, whether it's business-related, whether it's technically related, uh, feel free to, again, uh, give me a, send me, drop me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. So we will see everybody next week, same time, same station. So thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.